take this opportunity to invite people uh, in the name of Imam al-Mahdi to come and support uh, this call and to support me in this mission that I have to propagate this faith and to join me and walk with me uh, no matter what the cost is and no matter how long it takes until we fulfill our obligation uh, towards God and return humanity to uh, the Garden of Eden. My dear sister Tiffany. Walaikum salam rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Father. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you so much for having me here today. So, in the previous couple episodes, uh, we mentioned that uh, Imam al Mahdi Muhammad ibn al Hassan al Askari, he is that divinely appointed king, he is that divinely appointed guide, he is the messenger from God in this day and age the successor of the Prophet Muhammad He is the remnant of God in creation. And uh, he is the Imam that, uh, that for this time, whoever doesn't know him and uh, have a pledge of allegiance to him will die the death of ignorance. He also is... Um, uh, you know, the one who has sent forward the Mahdi's, and the Mahdi's are his successors, uh, starting with Ahmed al-Hassan al-Yamani, you know, going through the rest of the uh, 11 Mahdi's after him. And we spoke about, about the Mahdi's and the, the, the uh, concept of the multiplicity of the Mahdi's um, and how the Mahdi's are the next 12 successors that come after the uh, 12 Imams. Uh, we spoke about how also the mission uh, which uh, we have in this day and age, the age where all of the prophets and the messengers, the saints, the pious ones, everyone who has ever worked uh, towards establishing that divine just state where God is king of it, uh, that state of the believers, uh, a state of justice and equity and equality, um, everybody who has followed the imam of their time and has lived their life working towards that goal, um, they have all returned in this day and age. They've reincarnated. Um, and this is the time of the, of the great Raja. Uh, it's a return where every day and age there's a return. So people incarnate. Uh, but this is the day and age where all of the best of the best and all of the worst of the worst are incarnating um, in order that they may have this 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 face off. It's a it's a it's an extremely important time. The mission is to is to spread the idea that only God chooses the ruler. Nobody else has the right to do so, and and that and that. That was a central fact, the, the most important part of all of the divine religions from the time of Adam all the way till now. Yes. And uh, Imam al-Mahdi uh, 
the process of the establishment of a divine just state, it doesn't happen overnight. And you can see a parallel or an example of how uh, a divine just state was established in the stories of many of the prophets and the messengers and the vicegerents. When we look over to Islam and we see uh, the journey of the Prophet Muhammad in the establishment of a state, you first find that uh, the Prophet Muhammad, first he proclaims his message and then he's preaching his message for 13 years uh, in secret. Uh, so uh, he's doing it behind closed doors. Um, it's a secret da'wah. Uh, because they are afraid of attacks and they're still in small numbers. They're afraid of, uh, of being oppressed by the idol worshippers that are living at that time. Yeah. Okay. And so um, he establishes a congregation, a community uh, of believers, and they all gather in private homes uh, where they pray together, they worship together, and they have this mission of continuing to propagate the message in order that new people come into the da'wah, new people come into the call, and then they have numbers and they have resources. So every person that would come into the call, uh, they would either be an additional number uh, to the church and in, and in, and in numbers, there lies great strength, right? Yes. Um, or, uh, they, they were not just a number, but they also brought in their money, uh, their properties, their resources. And, uh, these riches also helped the community of believers survive and expand. Okay. Yeah. Eventually they, um, you know, their message is found out. There's people that believe, there's people that betray, the word gets out and the oppression starts against them and uh, attacks start happening against them and they eventually, uh, some martyrs are killed uh, at the hands of the idol worshippers. Uh, Yasir and Sumayya uh, become the first um, martyrs of Islam, the parents of Ammar ibn Yasir and uh, they end up having to immigrate and make hijrah from Mecca to Medina. It is in Medina where word had already gotten out, where the supporters of the Prophet Muhammad all immigrated to, a larger community is built, and uh, Yathrib becomes Medina. Uh, and uh, so Yathrib, they call it Medina. Medina means city. Um, Yathrib is the original name of the city that they go to, and uh, they call it city because it becomes the city of the Prophet. So now the prophet has a state and the state's called a city, yeah. okay? And it's over there where he is uh, acting now as the religious head of the community, but he's also acting as their commander-in-chief. Uh, he's kind of like their, their, their president now, their prime minister, um, their, their king. And uh, they, uh, they recognize his authority and nobody else dares to be the leader of the city over there because um, obviously the Prophet Muhammad has contact with God, right? So the people of the city, whether they were the people that migrated to it or the people, the Ansar that were already there, um, they recognize that, you know, that God is their king and therefore they only take the word of Muhammad as that word which will uh, rule over them.
Um, and then the Battle of Badr takes place. Uh, the Prophet leads them, um, you know, into a battle against the uh, the uh, idol worshippers of Mecca that were seeking to attack them, and the Prophet uh, is victorious. And the Prophet manages the affairs of the believers over there, and they share in all things. Um, their, their, their familial ties are cut off. Uh, the prophet rearranges, um, people and partners them up as family members based on their relationship in the soul world and not based on their relationship in the physical world. Because now many of the people that have immigrated or went from Mecca to Medina, they still have relatives that are alive, but these relatives are non-believers. And mm -hmm. the, the non-believing relatives, they're, they're fighting against their believing relatives, right? Yes. And they want to oppress them. And so the Prophet makes clear to them that the real relationship that binds people is that of faith and that and that there is something that's called brotherhood and sisterhood in faith in god right yeah. and that the believers even the verse comes down in the holy quran which says that verily the believers are brothers right so not only do they share in all of their money and they share in all of their property and uh, people that don't have a home are hosted by people that do have a home and uh, people that do have money end up splitting their money with the people that immigrated over there that they don't uh, that don't have money not based on the fact that they were friends or had a relationship but just based on the fact that he was another believer so all of the resources basically the prophet would split it amongst all of the people and everybody who who was a believer or had faith had a right to um, those resources. Yes. The justice uh, was so was so extreme, and the concept of the oneness of the believer that me and my my brother or me and my sister, uh, me and another believer are one was so extreme to the point that. Now, they upheld the rights of one another to the highest degree, to the point that those who had multiple wives and were living in polygamous situations, um, the they would they uh, you know if if a man had, for example, back in the day this was common, a man would have either multiple wives or he might have one wife and several handmaidens or concubines. Um, the the man who had two or three or four wives or concubines would divorce two or three of them and um, would end up marrying them to uh, somebody who was less fortunate, who didn't have the money to get married or who was single. And by that, uh, you know, corrupt, corruption in the land was stopped. Uh, uh, great love was, was born between the people out of these uh, acts of selflessness and sacrifice. Mm. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. And uh, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu ends up establishing, uh, you know, this little divine just state, uh, which extends now. Um, he eventually conquers Mecca, and then Mecca becomes also a part of this state of his, this city of his, um, and uh, and uh, this country of his. And then eventually, uh, you know, it comes to the point where the Prophet Muhammad, uh, you know, 
is giving his farewell speech and the narration state that he is preaching to about 70,000 people who are now members of his country or members of his state. Wow. So that's the journey of the Prophet Muhammad in, in establishing, uh, going from having a message to establishing a state. When we go back a little bit more uh, to the time of Jesus Christ, we find, you know, that the exact same thing almost is happening, you know, with a little bit of difference, but the main, the main journey is the same. Mm -hmm. uh, you have Jesus Christ, he comes, he has a message, he starts gathering disciples. He's walking by, he's seeing the disciples. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's going up to them. He's saying, come with me, become fishers of men. I'll teach you how to be fishers of men. Like one by one, he's like handpicking people and deciding that he wants them to be his followers and they come and follow him. He's recruiting. He's recruiting. Yeah. He's giving dawah. Yeah. He's teaching them. Yeah. They're with him based on the fact that they want to learn about it. But it's not a public affair. It's yeah. still in secret. Yeah, very Jesus much. is not making like this announcement in the in the halls or in the in the you know in the marketplace saying, "Hey guys, whoever wants to be a believer, I just want to announce that I'm a messenger from God." No, he's doing it in private conversations with the disciples. Yes, very much. Even when he performed miracles, he would tell people not to tell others that they had witnessed what he had done. So, yes, he was very secretive about it initially. Yeah, that's amazing. So now, just like the Prophet Muhammad, Jesus. He comes forward and he has a dawah, and it's a secret dawah at first. It's not public. And obviously the reason is the same. Just like Muhammad feared retribution from the idol worshippers, he didn't want the believers to get hurt. So did Jesus. He didn't want that the Romans or the Jews who he knew would would oppose him and his and his followers and his message. He didn't want also them to attack uh, the believers. <laughs> and uh, his dawah is very short. It only lasts for like three years. Um, but during those three years, it goes from uh, a secret dawah and recruiting the 12 and ends up being 72 disciples that he's sending forward ahead of them, ahead of him mm -hmm. when he goes to different cities. And then it goes to him eventually preaching in front of thousands uh, of people. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't manage to establish a state. No. And the reason why he doesn't manage to establish a state is because um, he is betrayed in a vicious way and sold out for some silver coins by uh, the person who is in charge of the House of Funds, which is Judas Iscariot. Yes. But the mission of the church continues. And Jesus makes it clear to his disciples that uh, he has somebody who he wants uh, to continue the path after him. Right? Yes. And he appoints his successor. Yes. Who is it? Simon Peter. Yes, he, he, he makes it very clear. He gives him all authority uh, uh, that what he binds on earth will be bound in heaven and what he looses on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he says that he's the rock upon which he will build his church. And the church, uh, I, I would assume, is related to this community that grows out of the faith. Yeah. So now, now it's, it's something interesting because, because that's exactly what, what took place. Jesus appoints him, Peter. He says that he's going to build this church now mm -hmm. using Simon Peter. Yes. Church is a word that is used in the Bible to describe two things. It's describing the gathering place where the believers would gather 
which initially would be these house churches. Yeah. All right. Which was like they didn't have a center, um, you know, that was dedicated only for the purpose of worship because it was illegal to be Christian. Right. Yeah. And it was dangerous. Yeah. And so they would still be gathering in secret in homes. But in the home, there would be like a room or something uh, where they would gather in order to worship. So church would refer to that home or that gathering place where, where they would, um, you know, worship and gather and, and, and pray to God. But church also refers to the congregation of believers, yes. the yeah. community. So the community is the church, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And also the place of worship is the church. Yes. The congregation is the church and the home is the church. Yeah. So, so then the disciples now have to carry on the mission that Jesus had. What is the mission? To establish also a divine just state. And they have this message. And so what did they do? They want the whole world to accept the message. They want the whole world to adhere to the teachings of Christ, right? Yeah. And at least in the point of view of the Catholics, the goal also is that the, the church and the head of the church, the successor of Jesus Christ, Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. That he be enabled in order that he may rule. Yes. Yeah. As the head of state. Yes. As he's doing right now, the Catholics, they have sort of a, a state with the Pope as the head of it. So it's clear that that is the, the goal. Yeah. And in the past, too, yeah. um, many of the, of the popes were actually rulers. Yes. Of countries. Yes. Many countries that were underneath the, uh, the authority of the, of the Pope. Yeah. And the Pope's the one who commanded the Crusades to take place, and he led wars, right? Yes, absolutely. So the goal was the establishment of a divine just state. Yeah. Even the Protestant Christians, they, um, you know, they they came much later. So really, in the very beginning, there was only Catholics. Yeah. Is that not right? Yeah, the Protestantism is is like a 17th century uh, invention. So yeah, it was initially the. It was initially that Christianity, at least in the, the Western countries, was headed by the Pope. Yeah. So now the disciples have to carry on the mission that Jesus had, and they have to propagate the faith, and their mission is the same as Muhammad They want to continue spreading so that new believers come into the Dawah. The more that new believers come into the Dawah, the more resources that they have, uh, because each one of the members would bring in um, their properties and also... Um, they would be stronger in numbers. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what took place. In the book of Acts, we have accounts of, um, you know, which describe the living arrangements and, and, and the affairs of the first disciples, um, you know, after the passing of Jesus Christ and, and how it is that they would live. Would you care to share with our audience a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, it's, it's mentioned a few times in the book of Acts uh, that the believers were all of one mind and heart and they shared in everything that they had and nobody considered their possessions to be their own. 
and that people who had resources, people who had property and things, they would actually sell that and then they would give the money to the believing community. They would put it at the feet of the apostles. So yes. it's mentioned many times uh, that this is exactly how it worked. People who wanted to be a part of the faith, they would go all in, essentially. They would uh, sell everything that they had and then those resources would be what provided for the entire community. Yeah, so now you have this idea that the disciples and the first followers of Christ believed that Jesus had said while he was alive, you know, when he made it a condition, when the rich man came to him, right? Yeah. And he said, I want to follow you. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, what? He, he says, first go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then you can come follow me. Exactly. First, he has to sell everything that he has. He has to give it to the poor. Then he can follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, when, when the man finds it too difficult and refuses to, Jesus says that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdoms of heaven. And so this idea of being rich was incompatible with the hereafter. You cannot have eternal life, eternal salvation if you are owning possessions, owning properties as there are people that are still in need. As long as there are poor people, if you're rich, then you're going to hellfire. There's no way that you have faith because a person who has faith would automatically prefer to and want to take care of the needs of other human beings and ensure that they had their daily sustenance than have uh, fortunes and gold and silver and other things, right? Yeah. And also there was this idea that they had this divine mission obligation to propagate the faith and to support the messenger who was chosen by God in that time and and that the messenger you know like in the case in the book of Acts as you mentioned that the apostles would come and everything that they owned uh, well the people everything that they they owned they would place at the feet of the apostles, right? Mm -hmm. Because the apostles were managing the affairs of the believers under the direction of Simon Peter, who was the chosen successor. And so they believed that uh, they had a mission. Their mission was to propagate the faith. Their mission was to give victory to Simon Peter, the successor of Christ. Mm -hmm. Their mission, um, you know, was to take care of the poor and all of their properties no longer believed to them as long as they believed in Jesus Christ and committed to them. So their bayah to Jesus came with this idea that they had to relinquish all of their possessions, all of their properties. Yes. Exactly. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. And it says in there, furthermore, that, um, you know, anybody who had properties from time to time, they would be required to sell them yeah. and they would sell them and they would put it into the pot. And uh, it says actually that they would take care of the needs of any member of the congregation that had a need. So uh, the idea became now what? that there was this community that was developing of believers and the, the haves had to give everything that they had in order that the have-nots uh, be able to have that which they need. Yes. And then by that way, there was justice. Uh, by that method, justice was established for all and everybody were equal in possessions and in rights 
and they could focus. Um, there was funding now for the church. And, and, and it says that because they lived this way, God blessed them and every day new people would be saved and would enter into their congregation and their, their church. And over time, their numbers increased so greatly, you know, that, um, you know, they basically overtook the Roman Empire. Yeah. And, uh, and the, they, they caused by this method, this, this strategy that they had, they didn't do an armed uprising, you know, and also, by the way, in the case of the Prophet Muhammad, he also didn't do an armed uprising. He didn't do an intifada or, or launch a war against, uh, you know, against the nation that's hosting him. Uh, he didn't do any acts of terror. Now, what happened in both cases? Well, in the case of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, they were defending themselves. And it says that those companions, they were fighting even with like, uh, you know, tree branches and, and things like this. And uh, the Qurayshis were coming in with all their high advanced weapons. Same case in Christianity. In Christianity, um, the Roman Empire was oppressing the Christians. They were the ones that were attacking the Christians and the Christians were never, um, you know, doing any sort of armed uprisings or acts, acts of terror against um, the state. They yeah. were just focused on propagating the faith. And through this method of propagation of faith in a peaceful way and the establishment of a community whereby all people live together and they shared in all of the resources, eventually the Christian Tao became so popular that um, the converted the entire state and the Roman Empire became the holy Roman Empire, right? Yeah. And the head of the Holy Roman Empire became the successor eventually of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's so amazing. Like it, it was, it was through the truth spreading, just through uh, you know God's message spreading so so rampantly uh, that it was it was out of control. They couldn't fight it anymore, so they had to adopt it. It was too powerful. The truth became too powerful. Um, and so beautiful. It is extremely, um, extremely beautiful. And that's what, that was the, the miracle that the seven sleepers, the companions of the cave, that they were able to witness. You know, they were living first in the time right after um, and Jesus Christ, where uh, Christians were being oppressed and uh, they escaped uh, from the disbelieving society and they went to the cave you know even if they didn't have any resources and even and that's the beauty of the message even if they didn't have any resources even if they were away from the rest of the apostles and the believers um, you know in communities of believers which they were um, they withdrew and they made their own little community and they took refuge in the cave and they decided that they would just stay there you know and rather die there than to help the tyrant or help the oppressor even if it was by the stroke of a pen and uh, God puts his hand over them and he sustains them and he saves them and he protects them and uh, he keeps them in a 
in a deep sleep uh, for a long period of time until um, they are awakened and they manage to see the state of justice that was established by the Christians and and uh, you know now where Christian Christianity and the message of Christ has you know spread through the empire and they are no longer uh, oppressed and so they witnessed that and then they passed away so uh, that is the example also of the people that returned in this day and age so that God does that's the idea is that God does with all of these saints and the martyrs that were martyred all throughout Christianity and through um, you know uh, and and in the in the during the time of the Prophet Muhammad and the time of the Imams and all of those who who died uh, you know and lived for the sake of establishing a divine just state God makes them return again in this day and age as he made the seven sleepers see the divine Divine just state, he brings them back in this time so that they can see the divine just state. Um, now, when we go to Judaism, we'll just go over this real briefly. I mean, kind of the same thing happens, right? Where Moses, he appears amongst the Israelites. The Tao starts in secret, okay, because it's under Pharaoh, so he can't talk too much. Uh, he, uh, the message is spreading, you know, he proclaims himself to be Moses in the will. He who was foretold by uh, Joseph and the previous prophets and messengers, the, the, their savior is here. And uh, then he goes into an absence. Uh, the dawah continues to spread. Aaron is in Egypt and he's spreading the call amongst the Israelites by the time that Moses comes back. Now they're ready to support him. They migrate with him out of Egypt, just like the believers migrated with the Prophet Muhammad outside of, uh, you know, Mecca to Medina. And just like the apostles migrated, uh, you know, out of J Jerusalem to Europe, uh, same thing happens over here and to other parts of the world, by the way. But but, but then uh, the believers, they uh, throw all their resources at the feet of Moses and Aaron, and he manages their affairs, and he takes them out uh, to Sinai, and he becomes the de facto head of state, and he leads them, uh, and they share in all things, just like the disciples of Christ do, and just like the uh, disciples and the companions of Muhammad. So, um, and eventually they get married, they have lots of children, they go forward they enter into the promised land under the leadership of the successor of Moses, Joshua, just like they establish a, a, a state eventually or convert a state after the, um, the passing of Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's clear that, that it's, the formula is the same each time. It, there is this gathering, this secret gathering that has to happen until there is strength in numbers. And meanwhile, there's this community that's built, uh, this fellowship of people who are sharing in all things. And they're actually giving everything that they have to God. And then God becomes their sustenance and God becomes their their leader. And they, they want their lives, uh, you know, uh, to be lived only through the leadership of God. And, uh, and through that, it just grows and grows and grows until it becomes a, a state of justice. Exactly. And the same thing is with the Tao of Imam al-Mahdi. Imam al-Mahdi, he comes as the successor to all of the prophets and the messengers. And his sunnah is the sunnah of the prophets and the messengers. And Imam al-Mahdi, his message starts with the propagation of faith um, and the calling towards the supremacy of God. 
and the sharing of the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of justice, equality, humanity first. And uh, Imam al-Mahdi he sent me and uh, uh, the people forward in order to do that which Moses did, Jesus did, Muhammad did, and that is to establish also a church, a community, a congregation, a city of the Prophet, right? Yeah. Um, the way of Imam al-Mahdi is also non-violent, um, just like Moses was non-violent. Uh, the companions of Imam al-Mahdi don't seek to um, and don't believe in and would never um, seek to cause an intifada uh, in any sort of country or to um, cause chaos or, or commit any sort of acts of violence violence but we believe in the power uh, of the message and for that reason uh, we by his command established a community back in the day in Egypt mm -hmm. and uh, we lived in the exact same way that the other people lived in the times of Muhammad and Jesus and Moses yeah. we shared in all things and we had this um, you know we moved from one place to another in Egypt, just like the early believing communities did. And we eventually settled in one building together where we shared all of the rooms and shared all of the apartments that were in that building and all of the resources that were owned by the congregation at that time was shared and God blessed us and he put his hands over us and we managed to propagate the faith. Right? Yeah, from such a small uh, number of people, uh, you know, it grew and grew. It yeah. grew and grew. At the, in those days, we were, we were under 20 people. Yes, yeah. And in our home was our church that yeah. we gathered. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the prayer would happen in the apartment. And, yeah. and you were one of those original people that were with me. Yeah. Uh, I lived at the very bottom floor, and you lived at the very top floor, right? Yes. And we had incredible times, yeah, and we didn't we didn't care about anything that 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 you know like how fancy things were. It was very simplistic homes. Extremely simple, yeah, yeah. but beautiful and and, and a, a time that I always look back on with so much love. And it was back. It was it was in in um, it was in the middle of the desert, yeah. uh, you know, kind of in between Cairo and Sinai. And uh, we made a, a you know, a, a, an open uh, masjid. And what I mean by that is that it didn't have a roof to it. It was actually on top of the roof of the building. Yeah. And uh, me and the brothers would, would stay all night and we would um, pray underneath the stars. And we would uh, sit and speak and discuss knowledge and discuss the uh, path of the prophets and the messengers underneath the, the, the clear skies of Egypt until the morning uh, and the sun rose. Uh, we would break bread together and eat together and fast together. Uh, Ramadan uh, during those times all in that in that place and all the meanwhile that we would spend our um, our time and our efforts in 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 uh, discussing with reaching out to people and bringing more members uh, to our community and back in those days those those 20 people those were the surviving members that 
um, you know, that remained, uh, and and our church was was made up of people that had actually migrated to Egypt from all over the world. Yes, yeah. We had Brother Uner over there. He came from Germany, uh, originally Turkish. Uh, we had Joe. He came from the United States. We still have Joe and Uner. Uh, we have Ali Rizza, who came from Germany uh, with Iranian background. We had Hamid Rizza, who came from the UK. Uh, we had Taymour, an Egyptian. We had Mustafa, who was Egyptian. We had many Egyptians at that time. We had, uh, yeah, Sister Alia, who came from Pakistan. And then we had Rauda Zahra, Maryam, Nurhan, Hadil, Sabah, Haniman, and Tahani. Yeah, from UK. Uh, it, was, it was an extremely uh, beautiful time. Yeah, and I'm not even mentioning all of them. There was, uh, you know, there was others. There was Mahmoud and and others. But I was just wanted to give uh, people an an idea. And before that, there was uh, many other people also that that flew out to Egypt. They came from Malaysia and from all around the world, and they spent time with us. And then they ended up going back to uh, their respective countries as well. Some of them eventually left the Dawa. Uh, other people, they uh, they left and they actually propagated uh, the faith even further uh, in Europe and in other countries. And then uh, we eventually met up with them again. Yeah. And so then we ended up moving uh, from there and we, we came to Europe and we had uh, several uh, places where we, uh, uh, you know, where our community um, went to and uh, met with even more people. Um we went to Germany, yeah. we went to Sweden, and uh, now we came to the United Kingdom. And during those time periods in, in Germany and in Sweden, uh, we had, uh, you know, our community grew from around 20 individuals to, to um, a community of uh, over 200 individuals. Uh, with thousands upon thousands of faithful believers that live all across the globe. Uh, we have believers now um, in this call of Imam al-Mahdi that are in America, in Mexico, and in almost all of the countries of South America. Uh, we, we, we have believers on the opposite side of the world that come from Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, uh, even, uh, even, even Russia and China. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's amazing to think about it. Like the, the, the growth, uh, from this small group to this worldwide, uh, call is just, it's incredible. It is incredible. And I, and I see that this is actually just the beginning and the way that you've described it, it, it really just mirrors those stories from the time of Prophet Muhammad and the time of Jesus and the time of Moses where, where, the people, uh, particularly the time of Jesus, where where the disciples they they started uh, as a small group and then they started to branch out and branch out and spread the message throughout the entire world. Exactly. So basically, we're gathered in this day and age. Um, our mission that we have from Imam Al Mahdi Ali Salam is the same as the mission of the previous prophets and messengers. Our mission is to establish a community. Uh, we and to establish a congregation and to propagate the message of the supremacy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, across the earth. And the method whereby we are doing that is by pooling in our resources together 
and uh, establishing a congregation, a community, rather many communities, but this is the main one, uh, with the only representative of Imam al-Mahdi on the planet that is speaking to the people in the flesh who's claimed the uh, will of the Prophet Muhammad who comes to the people using the letter of appointment as a proof of his valid claim. The only person who is also, and this is the only da'wah that is proclaiming that only God can appoint the leader or the ruler and who's raised the flag of the supremacy of God and who has demonstrated divine knowledge and so has come with the fulfillment of the law of knowing the proof of God. Now, we believe that the narrations were clear, that people have an obligation to the Qa'im of the family of Muhammad and to Imam al-Mahdi in that time. Uh, and the narrations state that in the time of the Qa'im, the Qa'im will make uh, impermissible upon the people their own money. Uh, so private money becomes impermissible. And the reason why that is, is, is because it became impermissible upon the early disciples of Christ too. And, and their disciples, the early communities, whether in Islam or Christianity or Judaism, that members of the faith be part of the faith, be part of the church, and still have their own private properties. If they were a member of the community, if they were a member of that faith, they had to give up those possessions which they had and uh, put it to work um, at the feet of the apostles uh, for the sake of the propagation uh, of the faith. And uh, we see that there's this story uh, in, the, in, the, in the Bible of somebody who actually received the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them in a grave punishment because they did not follow this rule. Yes. Would you like to share? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, yeah, there's a story in the book of Acts about uh, this couple. They were part of the believing community. And uh, as, it, as it was stated, the, the believers, they used to sell uh, any properties or anything that they had in order to, to give that money to the to the community. Um, and it was Ananias and Sapphira, they, they sold uh, a piece of property and they gave money uh, and they gave money to, to the disciples, but it was not all. Uh, they, they, they pretended that they gave all of the money from the sale of their property, but they actually withheld some for themselves and they thought that they were deceiving Simon Peter. But Simon Peter actually, he knew, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit that he knew. And when he confronted them, they actually just dropped dead on the spot because they had withheld uh, the sustenance from, uh, from the believers, basically. So it, it's a very uh, harsh warning about how serious it is if you, if you pledge your allegiance and you, and you say that you're going to be a part of uh, the believing community and you're going to sustain the believing community, you're going to give it all to God, basically. You can't try and withhold some for yourself. It doesn't work that way. You can't have both. Exactly. So obviously the, the killing of these two individuals by God uh, and, and the story being preserved in the Gospels uh, serves as a warning, but also an indication that God expects, rather he demands, 
from all members uh, of the faith until the hour of the establishment of a divine just state. He expects them to come together uh, and to share in their properties and in their resources. Uh, that they, that, and like Ahmed Hassan, he said, he said, the divine just state will never be established, uh, you know, on the ground until it is established amongst you, O believers. So first and foremost, it, it has to be established in the hearts of the followers, of the disciples, of the apostles. They have to feel compassion for one another and want to uh, treat one another uh, and actually do treat one another the way that they would expect justice to be implemented in the divine just state where all of the resources of the state um, be used to fulfill the needs of all people. That must happen first in the community, in the congregation. And uh, everybody is obliged to, and the narrations of Muhammad and the family of Muhammad are extremely clear that when the Qa'im appears, uh, people have a divine obligation to uh, go to him, even if they have to crawl on ice, and to support them uh, with, with him and the faith with everything that they have. Yeah. And, and that they're truly loving one another as themselves. And yeah, it's the establishment of what, what God wants. Yeah. Exactly. And so I take this opportunity to invite people uh, in the name of Imam al-Mahdi, Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Askari, to come and support uh, this call and to support me in this mission that I have to propagate this faith um, and to join me and walk with me uh, no matter what the cost is and no matter how long it takes until we fulfill our obligation uh, towards God and return humanity to uh, the Garden of Eden. We're going to be there. God bless you, Tiffany, and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for everything that you taught me today. Assalamu alaikum.